welcome back to the Anti-Diet Club podcast. I'm Gillian, and I'm here with Tamsin. Hey, how are you? Hey, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. You sound a bit snotty this morning. I am a bit. I have a bit of a cold and a bit of a blocked ear, so I can I can hear, but it's it's yeah, it's not easy this week. But yeah, I'm okay. Other than that, great recipe for a podcast. <laughs> yeah, so. Um, we officially, this is episode four, we've officially launched the first three landed. And um, yeah, we're just really blown away by your um, kindness and support. And it's just really great to know that um, what we're talking about is useful to you, I guess, which is the whole point of us being here. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for joining us on our Instagram handle and giving us all the support for our little launch that we had last night. It's great. Yeah. So we are coming up to this kind of final quarter of the year, right? Or we're in the final quarter of the year where we've got things like Halloween and firework night and Thanksgiving, if you're in the States and Christmas and New Year's. And it's quite a um, intense time around food. It's the time of year that I definitely feel with my clients that it's things start to feel like they're becoming a bit out of control and food starts to feel like it has even more power than it normally holds. So we thought it would be a good topic to to chat about, right? Yeah, definitely. I think this is a can be a very challenging time of year in terms of like, you know, sensory overload, I think, in uh, mm. in marketing terms and starts with Halloween, um, which I think is, you know, just around the corner. Um and yeah, it just that reinforces this idea of these treat foods. And it's it's triggering for a lot of people at the moment. Yeah, I see it in sweets and um, kind of that kind of confectionery kind of particularly kiddie kind of foods. Because what, what I see and what I used to do, I don't know about you, is the main strategy of not eating the quote unquote bad foods is just not to have them in the house, right? And I think it's, hard when you have kids because particularly around um Halloween and and Guy Fox night you have much and like coming into Christmas you have much more of these kind of foods not only in your home but in your if any of you are still going out to workplaces you have more of these kind of foods in your workplaces and if you are if your strategy like mine was just not have them in the house or trying to deploy discipline willpower self-control all that kind of stuff to stop you eating said foods, it likely never ends well. Like it, it I always think we have such a finite availability of those resources to us um, that it, it never really ends up be, feeling peaceful or relaxed, does it? So what was that your strategy? I'm interested, like what did you just like not buy the foods? Uh, no, not at all. Um, because uh, yeah, I have children, and I've always had children because I have stepsons, which who are older. So when they were younger, even um, it's a bit of a, a, a joke actually these days in in our house. They talk about when they were children and they had uh, Easter candy, uh, chocolates, and stuff like that. That they because they would come and see us every other week. That by the time they came back, whatever they had left behind had gone and either been replaced if possible or there was just a, an apology or I, you, you know, because I, mean? I couldn't be left with this stuff because I, I wasn't allowing myself to have anything. Mm-hmm. I think typically what I used to do and my experience of it is just having like children's 
style of like foods that they like in the house and trying to avoid it thinking well I don't really like that stuff anyway they're not they wouldn't be like my first choice convincing myself that that would keep me away from those things and actually it doesn't it has the it had the opposite effect because I couldn't when I wanted something I couldn't hit the spot with the stuff that because I actually generally didn't really like it all that much it wasn't it wouldn't have been my favorite food it wouldn't have been what I consider to be a sort of an adult type thing. It's great if you like those things, mm. but there are certain things they have that I just don't love. Um, and so I would still eat them, but I would need more of them to hit the spot and generally never really hit the spot, if that makes sense. Yeah, it totally makes sense. Yeah, it, it's like, well, you, you try and resist as much as you can convincing yourself with all these different strategies and techniques and whatnot, but you probably end up, and I see that with anything you try and resist, right? Anything that you um, really want, but you come up with all these reasons as to why you can't or why you shouldn't or um, whatnot. And ultimately, you know, it, it, it we, we, we do get to a point where, and it, normally for me, it was always when I was tired or stressed that that willpower, that discipline just breaks and you'll actually just have anything that's going in the cupboard, whether it's, you know, so long as it's sweet, so long as it's, you know, and it's always the things we demonize, right? It's never like broccoli and cauliflower. It's generally like snack-based stuff, right? Snacks seem to get such a, a hard time in diet culture. Um, and I'm just wondering, like, as we come into this time of year, when you look at um, the messages through TV, like adverts, as well as when you go into stores, the messages is like, this is the time of year that you're allowed. This is the time of year that you can indulge. This is the time of year that you can have luxury. This is the time of year where things become a bit more decadent, right? So like, it's like the world starts to give you permission at this time of year, that's what everything's geared towards this season. And then I feel, I have no evidence to support this, but I feel like it's a huge fucking setup for January when then the message is now, come on now, these last two or three months, you've kind of, you know, quote unquote, let yourself go and you really need to get back on the wagon. So it's like, it's, it's, it's kind of like setting us up for this like sale in January of now it's time you've got to do better now like time is up get back on the wagon do you like am I am I making this up or do you see that too no not at all I see that too it's everywhere at the moment I just noticed with the change of the weather and this time of year as soon as we sort of get into September October it starts to feel like you say all the marketing words that are being used are treats and indulgent and everything changes and becomes a something with a something else. And, you know, your coffee suddenly has different things in it and stuff on it. And when you're walking down the high street, there's no getting away from that. That is, that is everywhere. That's just saying, you know, now's the time to treat yourself. And it feels like it's a real and again, I have no evidence of this, but it feels like it's that time of season, uh, sorry, that time of year when marketing is trying to get us to part with more money. We're mm. trying to treat ourselves and others around us. And it's trying to get us to think about spending more money in um, shops and on presents and all this kind of stuff. So it kind of has that double thing to it for me. That's what mm. I feel like is making us feel more generous with ourselves and with others. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, especially around the Christmas stuff, the food catalogs that come through, the wording 
that is used in those is all about indulgence and, you know, being the best that you can be in terms of hosting. And it taps into our, I guess, our, you know, feelings of vulnerability on, on what we're going to be providing this time of year. Mm. Very clever if you think about it in that way I don't think the food and the consumerism is separate I think it's I think it's all part of the same thing and then you're right and then in January we're we're propping up the diet and fitness industry Mm -hmm. with well you know obviously no one's been encouraging us to move our bodies between October and December but come January we're encouraged to be going outside and you know, or going to joining gyms, you know, it's no secret that it is the time of year when the gym memberships just go through the roof. They have no need to sell you anything necessarily because you're begging them to let you in kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's interesting the word when you talk there about like the words that they use and how much they really tap into not just um, our emotions but our sense of self-worth right when they start to use things like I remember seeing a box um in a supermarket last I think it was last winter and it was for like mince pies or something and they used the what they actually had it written on the box guilty pleasure so they're telling me that this is kind of like bad or like you know this this for the rest of the year this wouldn't be sanctioned but for this time of year, you're allowed to indulge. It's telling me I should be feeling guilty um, any other time for having this. And the, the, this guilty pleasure is like this kind of secretive sort of thing. And then you go to like the yogurt aisle and it's like, this is guilt-free. So like, at what point did our morality, our sense of self-worth, our sense of morality start to be printed on food packaging? right? And of course, it all comes down to sales and marketing. You're absolutely right. Diet culture is so immersed and enmeshed with um, consumerism and capitalism. And um, no more so than I think this last quarter of the year in the first, not even the first whole quarter, because we're barely into February by the time Easter stuff is coming around and then that's the next season or the next chapter of quote-unquote indulgence and I just feel like as humans if we are invested in um, external sources any external sources to dictate what when how much how little and what kinds of foods that we eat we are being taken on a roller coaster ride right now. If we allow ourselves to be influenced, um, and this isn't our fault, right? This is just like what we're exposed to. But if we if we are not, um, if we don't have our eyes open to this, we are taken on this ride over these next five, four or five months. Yeah, that's right. We are. They just steer us in the direction that kind of suits consumerism and and a hot like say holding up all that stuff it's really it is really interesting when you take a step back and look at it like that and I think a lot of what you were saying there about um the the box in the um shop that had guilty pleasure written on it it not only invokes that emotion but it also suggests it's going to be taken away and it suggests Mm. that there's a scarcity mindset and that for me is like so it's double it's there's both things going on here and it's so incredibly clever if it just wasn't so frustrating because we all know that if we want to have something 
it, you know, in June, I can have a mince pie in June if I want to make mince pies in June. It's, but they make it scarce for us because the, you can't actually obtain the stuff to kind of, you know, you can't obtain the mince or you can't. They they do play on that fact that it won't be available, that this mm. is for now. This is just this is just have this now, get it all in now because mm-hmm. you know, they're going to be clearing the shelves and we don't sell all this stuff the rest of the year round. Yeah, yeah. And so much of like, you know, this is where I see this push-pull kind of like negotiation. This is all around me. It's not just being brought into my home because of um, the season and maybe having kids, but it's also in workplaces as well. And it's like we're surrounded by it, but we have this internal feeling of this is bad. I shouldn't be doing it. This is this is sort of shameful. And as I say, trying to kind of um, rely on those um, finite resources like like discipline and um, willpower. And I remember, um, must have been a couple of years ago, it was before COVID, I remember going to give blood um, and the nurse that was doing the, you know, the transfusion, is that a transfusion? I don't know, the, the taking the blood from me. She was taking my blood and she was talking, so I always give blood on my birthday, 13th of December. Don't know why, it's a bit of a tradition for me. I think it comes from a place of like, if I get another year on the planet, I should give back somehow. I don't know. Um, the nurse that was taking my blood on the 13th of December was telling me about how her and her husband go on the most strict diet throughout December. So rather than quote unquote indulging over Christmas, New Year, and then dieting in January, like most people, they do the dieting before so that they can shrink and restrict so that they can go all out at Christmas. And this was a nurse, somebody that works in our health service. And she was me, the patient. She was telling me this massively unhealthful, um, you know, massively disordered as far as I'm concerned. But um, what it really made me think was she already seems to have this idea that she, you know, certain foods for the rest of the year is off limits. And um, Christmas time is a time when the, the, they're legalized the permission slip is given it's okay you can feel okay about yourself if you have them over Christmas time and this real feeling of distrust and all I kept thinking was if I've been on a massively restrictive diet throughout December of course it is going to swing so far in the opposite direction to the degree that you'll probably eat more and you will feel more out of control and you'll be even more convinced that you are a wreck around food, you can't be trusted, you've got insatiable hunger and probably even feelings of like food addiction, right? Um, Because that's what happens when we restrict. Um, especially to that degree that it just goes so far in the opposite direction. Um, And what I was left wondering with was if you allowed all these foods all year round, would you have, would there be this need to, to employ restriction in order then to give this permission slip over the holiday season? Yeah. And I think just circling back to what you were saying there about her, what she was you know, saying in terms of her plan for this, you know, in it, I don't think it's going to be that unusual. I, I, I think you'd be surprised. It's not something that I identified with ever doing something like that. But I think 
people are just coming up with, you know, different ways of controlling their weight, aren't they? And that's what they're attempting to do all the time. Um, but in terms of talking about, you know, the fact that she was a nurse, I think that's a really clear example of the fact that she fully is bought into the idea that weight is a health behavior. You know, mm-hmm. this, is the, this is the idea that we are told all the time. We're not told that height and shoe size is a health behavior, but somehow weight is a health behavior. And that the only time you're ever really looking after yourself is if you're making that go down and that the, the, and that's how you're supporting your health. But also going back to what you're saying about the restriction. Yeah. I mean, any time that you, something is off limits and if they are being really, really strict in the run up to Christmas, then I mean, you know what it's like. If you think back to any time you're ill and you, um, you know, I had, a, my children had stomach bugs recently and they didn't feel like eating. They were, they were poorly, but then when they felt better again, they were ravenous. And, and it's similar thing, isn't it? You, if you mm-hmm. suppress that for a long period of time, or even a short period of time, or even just in your mind, suppress that, you know, that mental restriction as well. Um, it is going to fly in the other direction. It is going to push you to have one, have more. And again, like you said, I really, really resonate with that. It just reinforces this idea that, well, this, see, I just can't control myself because, mm. you know, look at how I'm behaving now. And I definitely identify with that. I really thought that, you know, every Christmas and every, you know, well, Easter and, and Halloween and all these kind of times throughout the year, I felt that it was just a reinforce, you know, reinforcement of the fact that I cannot control myself around certain foods. I have a problem with sugar. I have a problem with salty snacks. You know, that kind of, you know, what's your downfall? Well, I used to say everything mm-hmm. <laughs> because mm-hmm. I felt like I couldn't control myself around anything. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that, that language. What's your downfall or like, what's your Achilles heel? Like that's, that's real. A narrative from slimming clubs isn't it like that's yeah. a real diet culture kind of narrative and generally the thing that is like the thing that we can't control ourselves around is the thing that we demonize the most it's the thing that we put really high up on this pedestal it almost becomes like the forbidden fruit the more that you tell yourself something is bad and wrong and that you shouldn't have it or you shouldn't want it the more we freaking want it right it calls our name louder um but I think when we when we work with folks around how to actually start to dismantle that um feeling of food having power over us um and we introduce this idea of legalization of all foods particularly the most demonized foods folks really really believe that they if they give permission and it becomes legalized and they um are allowed to have these foods in any quantity whenever they want they're just going to eat them all the time and that is never ever going to stop right and that makes complete sense because when you think about it folks are generally either on the wagon or off the wagon right so when you're on the wagon all the rules are in place you're doing quote unquote really well really good um you can feel good about yourself you're virtuous um but we know any time that you position yourself on the wagon, you're going to fall off the wagon. That is inevitable. There's never a time that doesn't happen. And when you do, just like I was saying about the nurse, you go nuts with food. You go nuts 
because you've not been allowed to have it. So when you think about it, if that is your only two experiences around food, really tight control and restriction, or nuts around food, then this idea of peace and freedom and liberation, there has probably been no experience of that. And for some of us, we're really young when we have that that last experience of that. Some of us have never had that experience, right? So it stands to reason why people think that they are just, if they're not on the wagon, they're only going to live in the off the wagon place. And it's really, really hard if you've not had that lived experience to trust that that isn't going to be your life forevermore. Yeah, definitely. And I quite often will bring clients' attention to what lies in that fear, like around, well, okay, what happens if, you know, you do? What happens if you do go nuts around that food? Because what they make it mean is that they think it's going to result in their body changing in a way they don't like because of their fear of weight gain, because of because of that underlying weight bias that people kind of don't really realize is going on. Mm-hmm. Because actually, that is that's what it comes back to, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's the reason we control our food in the first place. It's not the food control doesn't come first. It's the body dissatisfaction that comes first. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's why we sort of feel that we need to remain in control of our food and and not go nuts around it but mm-hmm. but when you've been, when you're presented with that kind of almost evidence of your own behavior in the past of going nuts around food you just can't imagine allowing the 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 freedom and just to be able to have whatever you want and you know typically with intuitive eating we do see people kind of feeling that freedom, like, wow, okay, I can eat this. I can eat this. And you do have that in the beginning, but after a while, you, you know, if you kind of push through that stage and there is the key bit is like pushing through that stage, you do start to feel relaxed around it, but it's, it's, it's hard to push on to that next point. Yeah. yeah it it's almost confirming what you feared in the first mm, place. Yeah. Just yeah. the process, but it's hard. Yeah, confirming that like you can't be trusted around food and keeping the faith that actually if you continue to keep um, legalizing and allowing all foods and allowing permission that actually this thing that, w- that we call food habituation will actually come into play. And that makes sense. Like habituation happens not just with food, right? But it's like you get a new item of clothing and you just want to wear it all the time and that because it's special and then suddenly it's kind of like, uh like it's not so special I I remember that with cars like getting a new car and like how when you get a new car you just like want to like keep it clean all the time and like and you have and you have these kind of things like I'm 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 never gonna I'm never gonna eat in the new car I'm never gonna drink in the new car like these are the rules around the new car because it's so incredibly special but that wears off like doesn't it wear off like within within a couple of months it's just like it's just a car. Like it's just yeah. the vehicle that gets you from A to B. And it is the same with food. It truly is the same with food. Um, when, when food habituation takes place and it's not to say that you're never going to want to, it's not like with the car analogy, it's not that you're never going to be like grateful for your car anymore or drive the car anymore. Of course you are. And it's the same with food. It's like, my thing was always chocolate. Like I just couldn't be trusted around chocolate. I would buy those big bars of chocolate and if I opened it, it would be gone. There was, I I just couldn't get my head around people 
who would so I have this friend who would like um eat like half a cereal bar and then put the other half back in her bag and I'm like I don't get that I've I've no idea how you can open something and not finish it regardless of the size of the packaging like if it's open it has it's like it's just going to call my name until it's finished so I may as well just finish it right and I couldn't get how you could just like just casually have chocolate sitting in the fridge and now I'm that person I casually have chocolate sitting in the fridge um sometimes I I eat it often sometimes I go through big phases where I, I don't touch it um but none of that means anything if I'm not eating it it doesn't mean I'm a good person it doesn't mean it's better if I'm eating a lot of it it doesn't mean that it's wrong or bad or I shouldn't be doing it it just is what it is but it's really, really hard, even once you get past that like physical allowance, that getting past the physical restriction, we've still got all these stories in our head, haven't we, about the guilt and the shame and what should be and what shouldn't be, and just pure judgment around our behavior. And that's the part that when folks that I work with say, but I haven't been dieting for years, but why can't I stop eating all the chocolate? And it's at that point, not the physical restriction necessarily. It's the psychological restriction. And I think people just don't identify that as being restriction. No, and it is to our bodies that the restriction is restriction. However, it shows up, even if it's just in your mind, if you're feeling that you're good or bad. And this is where the morality comes into it that you were talking about just then about, you know, when you looked back at when you were in your dieting days and you had that friend who could eat just half a cereal bar in that moment, there's, there's, you know, you're seeing her as a better person and that Mm -hmm. you're the failure Mm -hmm. and actually, you know, food shouldn't have that moral value or that invoke those sorts of emotions in us, but it does because that's what we're told. And that's, you know, linked straight back into the language that is being used on these foods all the time. It's reinforcing that this is, you know, a guilty pleasure, that it is indulgent, that it is a treat, that it is not something you should be giving yourself on just a random Monday in June. You should be only saving yourself. This is the moment. This is the moment you've been waiting for all year let's, you know, get this stuff in now. So I think, you know, it, it really, to me, I can see it now. And it's, again, like you said, I, I am that person too. And it doesn't make you a better person at all. And I, what, when I think to, back to that friend with the cereal bar, I was convinced because I had no other frame of reference at that point. I didn't know about intuitive eating. I had no idea that the reason that I would have the whole cereal bar, whether I was hungry or not, if I'd opened it, it'd be finished, was all this like convinced of like, I'm a food addict. I'm obsessed with food. I'm greedy. I'm a pig. I can't control myself. I can't be trusted. If that's what's going in our, on in our mind, like that's our, that's what we believe. And we believe that the only way to eat half the cereal bar rather than all of it is through determination, willpower, self-discipline, self-control, right? All these things. So I looked at that friend and thought, you've got all those like character traits or personality traits that I don't have. I'm missing them. And what I need to do is strengthen that muscle because it looks like you have a really well like exercised restriction um, muscle that I don't have. But now what I realize is 
that isn't what was happening. That's a diet culture way of looking at things. What was happening was whether she had the whole cereal bar, none of it or half of it, none of it mattered. She was relaxed around food. She had a healthy relationship with food. What was actually dictating if she ate none of it, all of it or half of it was purely down to how she felt not about any judgment or shoulds or shouldn'ts around that food. And that, when I learned about that, that blew my mind. Yeah, absolutely. Because you do, you do see it as a character trait and it, and it's the failing in your part and a, an amazing, you know, character trait of this, this other person who is, you know, eating in just a very relaxed, nonchalant way. And it's kind of like, how do you do that? I have another friend who said the same to me that she she had a, um, a chocolate bar that had like two sticks to it. And she was saying that she ate half and then put it back in her bag and it blew her friend's mind. Mm-hmm. It literally, she was just like, I don't understand how you can do that. And she was like, well, I'm just done. I just, it just hit the spot. I just, I'll have it later. Like it won't, it won't go, it, it will happen. I just don't want it right now. And it does, it just, it just, it is a, it just messes with your mind. It's just a massive mind fuck when you're coming off the back of diet culture. But actually, um, once you see what's really behind it, that it's not character traits, it's not a failing, you can start to realize actually it's just about having food neutrality. And part of that is having body neutrality, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's a precursor um, to it. The other thing that came to mind when you were talking about um, the, like, I I assumed you were referring to like a Kit Kit Kat there with like the two, like, are we allowed to say brands on this podcast? Is there any other thing? (laughs) (laughs) So let's just name it, right? So what I I was thinking about when you were talking about that was I'm, I'm putting myself back in my dieting shoes, right? Probably the reason that I would never have been able to have eaten one stick and put in the other back of my bag was probably because I would never have allowed myself to eat a Kit Kat in the first place. That Kit Kat would have been a demonized food in my book, right? Um, What I would have would be like some diet version of a Kit Kat, some like, um, you know, like 99 calorie version or like a slimming club version or something that was like the wafer and not the chocolate or like some crappy version of the thing that I actually wanted, like a pooter cousin. So when you're eating foods that like isn't hitting that satisfaction spot, um, you're going to want more and more and more until you feel satisfied. And if you're not eating the things that you actually truly want, like the Kit Kat, then you are going to eat a shit ton of them and probably still not be satisfied. Whereas if you can just allow yourself to have the thing that you actually want, it's like, okay, great. I'm done. Like I've, 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 does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. Cause I used to always eat things like that in the in the dark in secret it was never kind of out in yeah. the open like you say in that's when you start eating in your car because you're eating in secret you don't want people to see that you're doing it because you think think that it's a bad behavior that it's a failing on your part and I think I like what you said about the um the like replacement foods aren't they? the fake versions of the thing that you really like because mm-hmm. the thing that you really like is so demonized and so kind of well you know if you're trying to avoid this have this and I god you know some of the some of the things that were suggested, especially this time of year, mm-hmm. summer 
And this time of year was the things that they used to come up with all sorts of ideas about uh, like freezing like things and like putting things in the freezer. So you eat less of them or, you know, uh, try and work out like how many points or sins or whatever it was that came with that particular diet plan, you know, in these things. And maybe just like, it was all about like removing parts of things. And I vividly remember this with mince pies, you know, removing the top. And I'm like, no, because it, because I used to love, and I still love them, uh, you know, and I just could not get my head around why we would want to remove part of the thing. But this is like, it's like tricks. Mm, that you tricks and tips. Do. Yeah. But yeah. actually, you cannot trick your body. Like you cannot trick your mind. You're still going to feel like you're missing out. You're still going to feel like it's scarce, mm-hmm. and it's just going to lead to it's going to lead to binging, and then it's going to lead to that feeling of guilt. And actually, you think that you have just failed to follow their advice, and actually, their advice is totally flawed. Yes, and their fake products that they come up with are just making more money for them. I remember those things, those bars. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I remember when I would first start at back at the club, it would be kind of like, oh yeah, this is fine. This hits the spot, like in the first sort of day or so. But after a while, I was not eating one of them. I was eating two of them. And then I was eating boxes of them. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. ended up binging on the very foods that, you know, and I was like, oh, it's okay. Cause this damage limitation, because it's not so you know, bad because it's this particular, you know, fake diet version of something else. And actually mm-hmm. all I needed was just to satisfy a, a craving for something yeah. or a, a want for something um, that wasn't actually going to harm me at all in the first place. But, yeah. you know, and I just thought it was me. Something yeah. wrong. Really playing, these foods. really playing on the fear, the fear factor of like weight gain is the worst thing in the world. And this is what you need to do to avoid it. Like once you buy into that narrative, of course, like um, you are going to fear not just your own body, but you're going to fear most foods as well. That makes yeah. perfect sense. I want to circle back to something you said that is another form of restriction that we've talked about physical restriction. And then I was talking about like psychological restriction, eating replacement foods. Another kind of kind of another sort of sneaky way of restriction is also you mentioned eating like secret eating, eating in the dark eating in your car. Like I hear that a lot of folks eating in their car and hiding the evidence. And like, again, that's, that is another way of psychological restriction because a, if you're eating in a posture or position where it, you know, you're hiding and you're eating quickly and you're eating with complete guilt and shame, then a, your body isn't going to really register that as like, an eating experience, right? It's not an eating experience. You probably, like I've been there and I don't even remember tasting the food. You don't taste it when mm. when it's just like getting as quickly as you can get it down your throat before someone catches you. And before you even like, it's almost like the quicker I can make this, it then didn't happen, right? Uh, it just it, 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 if, if I can get this done in 30 seconds, then it didn't happen. And that also is just reinforcing this is bad. This is shameful. You shouldn't be doing this, which is sending the message to your mind and body that scarcity is on the way. Yeah, it does. You're absolutely right. Well, yeah, it's really good that you picked up on that because that is definitely something that I used to do. And, and it is, it's telling your body that this, I'm not going to do that again tomorrow. 
I'm not going to be in my car in the dark again tomorrow. I'm not going to stand in the in the pantry, you know, away out of the away from the eyes of my family or anyone else around. Um, you know, I'm not going to sneak this sort of stuff. It is not going to happen tomorrow. I'm going to do better. I, you know, I have failed. I feel guilty. I feel shameful. I'm going to get back on it tomorrow, and then we like almost like try and double down our efforts. Mm-hmm. We set off a, a a double amount of binging in because whatever we do, it has the opposite effect, doesn't it? So yeah. we just don't realize it at the time, and then it just again it reinforces this idea that we can't be trusted mm-hmm. because we go back into that cycle. It just goes around and around and around. Mm. Yeah, and I remember even I mean. I'm going to mention Janine Roth, even though I would not recommend that you read her books, but I remember she wrote a book and I can't remember the title, but it was someone like, you know, if you're going to eat cake from the fridge, like, can you remember it? Yeah, I can. What's it called? What's it called? It's called, if you're gonna, I don't I don't know what, please don't go out and get it because it's absolutely horrendous. Um, if you're going to eat from the refrigerator, pull up a chair. Pull up a chair. Yeah. Pull up a chair. And, and, and in a way I like that. I mean, her, her, you know, I think at the time when she when she wrote, um, that it was quite sort of revolutionary thinking, but is still inherently problematic because it's still very much invested in weight loss. Um, but what I like about that sentence is kind of like, if you're going to eat the cake, like because I was the one that would, like I've said this before, I would come home from work the front door would still be open. My shoes would still be on. My coat would still be on. My bag might even still be like across my shoulder and my face would be in the fridge, right? Um, Whereas really what she's saying is close the front door, take off your shoes, take off your coat, go and get a china plate, put whatever you're going to eat on the plate and have an eating experience and own it. And that's, that's a powerful step, right? It's a um, really powerful step. And I just to touch on that, when I was first going through healing, because it depends on where you're at in your journey, I hadn't quite got to that point where I was kind of sitting down with stuff. But I remember eating um, like Doritos or something out of a bag. And all I started to do was to, to be present in that moment. I was still standing up in the kitchen, but I was starting to bring myself into the present moment. And I used to say to myself, you're eating Doritos in the kitchen. And I, and it would just bring me into that moment because, because sometimes when we're eating things that we feel are demonized, that we shouldn't be eating, we're already thinking about the restriction that's coming. Yes. We're thinking, well, tomorrow I'm going to have that for breakfast. I'm going to have that for lunch, blah, blah, blah. While we are eating the thing that we mm-hmm should just be sitting down and enjoying. And that's how I, I started it very gently because I didn't, I couldn't get to the point where I was, you know, at peace with fit. It's just, it's, it's different for everyone, but I just wanted to share that because it did help me get to that point. And also to know that it's, it is still okay to eat standing up. I mean, mm-hmm. it does happen. We are busy. We cannot be getting our best china out and lighting a candle every time we have a brownie. It just doesn't work like that. No. It's, but it's once you, once you kind of go through that um, practice of allowing yourself that freedom, being present with it, when you do kind of go out into the world and, and things happen and you eat in a hurry one day or you, um, you know, eat standing up or whatever it might be, you just don't feel any guilt or shame over it because you've already made that step forward, you know? 
Yeah, exactly. Oh, and if let's say your food that day has been hurried, rushed, um, you've you've had to eat in your car because that was the only place you could eat that day and you're not getting a great experience from it. And that night you come home and you're like, Do you know what? I just need a really like big dinner, a big comforting, satisfying, like maybe some foods you had in childhood and I want the dessert and I want this. It's like, yeah, that's like, that makes sense. And that's okay. You know, like that's, we almost kind of, for me anyway, I know if I've had a day of where like food just has happened, but it's not been particularly satisfying. It's maybe not been um, enough. And I've just kind of scraped by. I'm pretty sure that night I'm going to come home and want like a whole lot of food. And, but that's fine. Like there's no, there's no demonizing what happens. Um, but it, it can be an interesting exercise to kind of piece it together and be like, oh yeah, I can see like why this has happened. Yeah. It's getting good at reflecting on what's been happening throughout your, you know, maybe even the week, not even just that day Sometimes yeah. during that week or, you know, maybe you, you went for a longer walk than you'd planned and it just kind of, you know, ramps up that hunger and, mm. and it's just feeling okay with that. And it, and it is, you know, for people listening to this, thinking that they may be not there yet, it is hard. And we have, you do go in and out of this kind of struggle with it, but it, it does, it's, it is, it does get easier. I think is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. But, and I loved what, the point that you hit on there in that, like, sometimes when we feel drawn to whatever foods and it's generally the most demonized foods that um we can kind of piece together what our food has looked like that day or that week or whatever but actually what I liked what you said there too was like maybe you'd gone on a longer walk so like it's maybe not just what your food has been like it might be movement there might be more movement or less movement there might be um your certain point in your menstrual cycle it might be that you um haven't had a great night's sleep the night before your kids have kept you awake or it might be that you're more stressed than usual there's a whole other set of circumstances at play that come together that affects um not just our appetite but the types of foods that we're drawn to and I think um it's easy to get into that narrative of oh well it's me I have a problem with food I'm a pig I'm greedy whatever it is as opposed to having that like um zooming out and and seeing the whole picture and at the same time having a whole lot of self-compassion for our humanness yeah I think it is hard to develop that self-compassion isn't it um and I know we both talk about that a lot with the clients that we see about developing that, you know, real compassion for yourself in the moment and just not, not feeling that you have failed every time you eat something, wherever you are in your journey and really, you know, being okay with it and treating yourself like you would a friend, I think, you know, to like not want to sound corny, which it does, but you know. Yeah, it's just, it's true though. It's uh, self-compassion is one of the hardest things to um employee I think we're not we're not um trained we're not used to doing that um and we bloody well need it for this journey of intuitive eating and moving away from diet culture because we it's not going to be perfect it's never going to be perfect we're always going to feel like we're doing it wrong um but you can't get it wrong this journey you cannot get it wrong because everything that happens you're learning you're learning more about the process you're learning more about yourself and so long as we're learning something, we're never, you know, we're never failing at it. So, yeah, I think that's a good, a good place to wrap up today. 
Yeah, definitely. It's been a really good discussion. Can I just do declare before we go? Yeah. I had a mince pie yesterday. I know it's only October. That's great. I just love them. <laughs> just yeah. Do. Yeah. And are you getting them in now? Because come January, they'll be off the shelves. Heck no. <laughs> <laughs> you can make mince pies all year round. So yeah, I didn't make it for myself, but I just happened to see it. I was like, oh, okay. I know some people are like, oh, it's only October. We shouldn't be talking about Christmas, but I am sadly not that person. Yeah. I love yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, I love mince pies too. All right, Tamsin, I will catch you next week. We will catch everyone else next week, hopefully, um, or in two weeks time, I should say, when we release these podcasts and um yeah thanks for your support thanks for rating thanks for reviewing thanks for following us um we really appreciate it it helps us get this podcast out to more people and um yeah is that everything we have to say i think so yeah yeah all the details are in the show notes for how to contact us if you want to get in touch great all right till next time see you next week